Hey folks, thanks so much for joining us for Biltmore Church Online. I hope you've had a fantastic time of, of worship and we're gonna jump into God's word before we do that. Uh, let me give you a couple things. First of all, if you're part of Biltmore Church, thank you so much uh, for this past several weeks as we've been in this initiative of Biltmore Church Love Schools. You all have loved on your community and you've served in the sense of we're, we serve people because Jesus served us in the gospel. And so you have served our schools uh, very, very well from everything from 1,700 plus students got a uh, Backpacks, 22 different schools around Western North Carolina to, uh, can't tell you how much uh, equipment was done uh, to uh, the work day uh, to, to, again, all that stuff. Thank you so much for being a giving church. Thanks so much for being a serving church. And uh, we are in 21 days of prayer. And by the way, if you were not with us last week, want to make sure you uh, understand there's a lot of resources there. Probably the easiest one, if you want to just text 21 to 28282, uh, you'll get a prayer prompt at 630 uh, each morning that's got just a little uh, little teaching on prayer, but then it gives you some music and some beautiful scenery so that you can also uh, be praying for that. And what we're doing, 21 days of prayer, is we're taking uh, 21 days to pray 21 straight days for the weightiest thing uh, in your life, the biggest burden you have in your life right now to say, I'm going to cry out to God for 21 straight days. It might be your marriage. It might be your health. It might be your prodigal. It might be financial. It might be relations with somebody that you have you just been uh, away from for a long time. It's the biggest thing to say, you know what, this is what I'm going to pray out and say, God, would you please do this? You know, and right now it should be, there's so many things, both macro and micro that we could pray for. Um, Lori and I, my wife and I, we don't watch a ton of television, but when we do, uh, it's usually like binge watching some kind of series that maybe started years ago. I think the first series like that we watched was, uh, was 24. All right. We just would tape them and tape them. Then we just like watch seven of them, like in one weekend. All right. Just fast forwarding through the commercials. And so we've done that with a couple of them. Longmire, I think was one of them, but there's one the kids told us about not long ago that was, uh, I didn't think that I would, you know, like it too terribly much that was actually called Stranger Things. And Stranger Things, it was kind of this, you know, I was like, ah, you're describing it, but Lori's like, let's just try it out. And it was really awesome. We watched the whole thing, watched whatever, how many seasons we, uh, we, we you know, we were able to watch. But one of the things they had was an alternate, an alternate reality, and it was called the Upside Down, all right? And what this basically was, was it was your normal, it was a portal to an alternate reality that basically was like your normal life, except it was darker and grimmer and foreboding. And you always were thinking something's going to happen. Something bad is going to happen. And I was like, that sounds like 2020. All right. Because that every day there is something pressing in on you, whether it's the big picture, whether that be a, I mean, who would have thought we would have been in a pandemic in 2020, everything from the relational strife to race strife to uh, all the different things going on. And on top of that, all the things that are going on to you personally, those things that's like, man, I don't know if I can make a difference. How can things actually change? Well, we're going to look at a text today in Matthew chapter 6 that talks about what you and I can do. All right, you can't do everything, and it's not the only thing you can do. But what Jesus shows is Jesus obviously was the biggest change agent in the history of the world. And one of the things that typified Jesus' life is Jesus was all about praying and all about prayer. Jesus prayed at his baptism. Jesus prayed at his temptation. Uh, Jesus would, it said he would often go off alone to pray. Uh, before he chose his disciples, he spent the whole night in prayer. Before asking his disciples their final exam question, who do you say that I am? He spent the afternoon in prayer. After they made their declaration, he took them to a mountain to pray. 
He promises Peter, listen, I'm gonna pray for you during the upcoming trials. And then obviously the hours uh, of his death, his final words were a cry of prayer. So here's what I want you to think about as we jump into this text. The disciples saw all the miracles, they heard all the sermons, but they never asked them that we know of, hey, teach us how to preach. They never asked them, hey, teach us how to do miracles. What we do have a record of is them asking Jesus, hey, teach us how to pray. And it's kind of odd from Jewish young men because they grew up around prayer. An Orthodox Jew would pray at nine o'clock, he'd pray at noon, he'd pray at three. Almost every Jew would have evening prayers, then they would have morning prayers. And so these guys were all around prayer, but when they saw Jesus praying, they're like, man, the power when Jesus prays and the way circumstances change when Jesus prays, that looks entirely different than when they were praying. And so when they asked him this, uh, what he basically taught them is what is known as the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. And what it emphasizes and what it's going to show throughout the scriptures is, listen, prayer is the conduit to God's power. Think of it this way, like your phone, you got a charger, all right? And that charger, the power is not in the charger. The power comes when you hook the charger up to an almost infinite amount of power, and then it charges your phone. In the same way, prayer is the conduit to God. It's how you relate to God. It's how you talk to God. It's how you get God's power in your life and in your circumstances. And so uh, there's, again, a well-known section of Scripture that uh, we're going to go to. Uh, last week we talked about, listen, just keep, just ask, just ask. Don't give up, don't give up, don't give up until God tells you to give up. And then so today it's really about how do I pray? If there's two things that keep people from praying, number one is, you know what? I don't see my prayers answered, so I don't know if it does that much good. Dealt with that last week. The second reason people really don't pray is because they're like, you know what? I just don't know how to pray. And so that's what we're gonna, that's what we're gonna do today. And uh, to the request to teach them how to pray, Jesus gives them a, a that gives them a well-known template, a pattern to pray. And I'm going to read the whole thing, but we're just going to focus really on the two verses. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, he says this, Pray then like this. He doesn't say pray this. He says pray like this. Here are the elements of, of prayer. And he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's really what we talked about last time. Give us, he's asking. And then forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Listen, there's so many things. We could do a whole series on this, on the Lord's Prayer, but let's just focus on the two things. And here's what I found out. If you and I can just get these two foundational qualities about God, if we can just get that, then we don't have to pray, we get to pray. It changes your whole attitude about what prayer is and how do I pray. So let me make it as simple as I can. When we pray, pray my Father. Just pray my Father. Verse nine is the banner over the rest of the prayer. And here's what I want you to understand. This, is, this can be revolutionary when it comes to praying. How you see God determines how you pray. How you see God determines how you actually pray. So for example, if you see uh, if you see God as a judge or maybe a policeman, you're going to be thinking, oh man, they know what I did wrong. And uh, I want to try to talk them out of a sentence or talk them out of a ticket. But you're definitely not going to go, man, I just can't wait to talk to them. There's, there's, there's not that there. If you see him uh, as a, uh, maybe a business partner, you know, business partner, you can, they can be useful. You're making money with them, but you would not say, I long to spend time with my business partner, not like you would your wife or your loved one or somebody like that. And so, uh, 
if you see them like uh, we would say today, Siri or Alexis, or Alexa, uh, uh, going back a few years, it would be OnStar. There used to be this deal, you just Google it, this deal on OnStar. You'd get a, if you had a fancy car or a fancy rental car, you'd push this button and this OnStar lady would come on and be able to say, how can I help you? And you could ask where a Dairy Queen is or a Chick-fil-A is or, or whatever. And sometimes that's the way people see God. When I got to have some questions, then I'll go to him. What's revolutionary is if you and I actually can understand that as my father, it changes, it changes everything. A well-known theologian, a guy named J.I. Packer, he said this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child, having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his praying and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand the gospel very well at all. So prayer begins, loved ones, it begins with understanding and embracing the fatherhood of God. The fatherhood of God is based on the Bible doctrine called adoption, and that's taught throughout the epistles. And it's the idea is through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we are adopted as his sons and his daughters when we repent and embrace Jesus by faith. Now just let that sink in. You are embraced as a son or a daughter. The old theologians would call it the great exchange that when God looks at you, if you're in Christ, he looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Jesus on your life. And because of that, you can say, you know what? He thinks of me, Jesus's resume was put to my account. So when he looks at me, Jesus' resume counts for me. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. A couple of places. 1 John 3 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and such we are. Galatians 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Listen, We've been adopted. If you are in Christ, you've been adopted as a son or a daughter. God loves you like that. The problem is, the problem with you and the problem with me oftentimes, especially when it comes to prayer, is we oftentimes act like we act like orphans. There's a bunch of people in our church that have either done foster care or foster to adopt or have adopted uh, children, some from the U.S., some from foreign countries, some from uh, very difficult situations. And there's been several times families, especially families that have adopted kids uh, from foreign lands that have that really had some early years really difficult in that foreign land from abuse to neglect to all of that. But I've heard several times when they've brought them over here and they're caring for them and they're part of their family and they're formally adopted and that's my son, that's my daughter, they still oftentimes have a hard time not thinking like an orphan. They think like an orphan. They're scared to ask. They sometimes will steal food out of the pantry. Sometimes they'll steal money, all of that. You're like, listen, you don't have to do that anymore, all right? You're a daughter, okay? You're a son. You don't have to act that way anymore. Now, listen, I know anytime you talk about fatherhood or the fatherhood of God, I understand particularly in this day and time, I'm talking to a lot of people who it's a very difficult thing to talk about in a good way, you know, God is my, is my father. Um, maybe you had a bad father, maybe you had a good father. But if you had a bad one, sometime when you talk about, it's hard for me to talk about God as my father. That does not bring up good memories. Matter of fact, one author, he noted that virtually every modern atheist, famous atheist, um, and you can just kind of go down the list. You can go to Freud, to Nietzsche, to, you know, Russell, to O'Hare. They all had one thing in common. They all had one thing in common. That one thing in common was they had a traumatic relationship with their dad or they had an absentee of father. 
Uh, actually, Freud is the one that says, nothing is more common than for a young person to lose faith in God when he loses respect for his, for his dad. I mean, you don't even have to go to a bunch of famous you know, atheists. You can go to, I mean, uh, I remember probably the best athlete probably ever is a guy named Bo Jackson. And there's a famous quote when Bo Jackson uh, was in the prime of his career. He's like looking around. He's like, man, I'm supposed to be the premier athlete in the world. And I'm envious of all these guys in the locker room because their dads came and watched them play. I mean, this is a grown man. And he's got that father wound that is really, really there. If you can't relate to Bo Jackson, man, you may relate to Ricky Bobby, all right? What happened with Ricky Bobby? I mean, Ricky Bobby... His whole life was trying to prove himself because what? He would leave tickets at the will call for his dad to come watch him race and his dad would never come and his whole life was geared toward, I'm going to prove myself because he had that massive, massive uh, father wound. <laughs> we're, we're outdoors, so I just spit out a bug. So here's, let me, let me, let me, let me put this down at, the, at the, the bottom shelf. If you had a good dad, that can help. If you had a good dad that went to your games and all that stuff, then there's not as much of a hurdle. If you had a hurtful dad that abandoned or, God forbid, abused you, maybe they were detached, maybe they had a quick temper, please hear me on this. You got to hear this. This is, you got to hear this and you got to let the truth set you free on this. God is not the reflection. God is not the reflection of your earthly father. God is not the reflection of your earthly father. He is the perfection of what it means to be a good, good dad. All right, so just think about it. He's not the reflect. Don't judge your heavenly father by your earthly father, all right? Evaluate your earthly father by your heavenly father because your heavenly father, all the stuff that is bad about earthly dads is great about him. I mean, I could give you example after example. You're like, well, my dad wasn't really that concerned. Do you know actually a couple of chapters from now, the Bible actually said, your father knows the hair on your head. When one hair falls out of your head to the ground, it's like, I know that. I, I did. You know, there's a 100,000 on average, some of you are above average, some of you are below average, but on average, 100,000 hairs you got on your head. And this is God the Father, God the Creator is like, you know what? I know when you lose one hair. Go back to a minor prophet in the Old Testament, a guy named Zephaniah. He actually says, you know what? Your father exalts over his children with singing. You ever seen a dad sing over his kids? That is super rare, but if you ever see it, that dad is delighting in his kids. He's like, look at my little girl. I mean, he's just so excited. I give you one that is really helpful to go, you know, go to because you're going to fail sometime. And when we fail, we oftentimes, it's like, man, I can't go to God. And if we don't understand this, when we do fail, we run from God in shame instead of running to God in repentance and getting the grace. But in the story of the prodigal son, what you've got to understand is the dad in the story of the prodigal son, he's waiting for his son. Read the story carefully, and he's like on tiptoes every day out at the front waiting for his son to come home. And one of the things I did not really realize, but almost every other parable, Jesus finishes it by saying something to the effect of application. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. In the parable of the prodigal son, he didn't even do that. He didn't even make the application. It's almost like he's, the story is so full of grace and so full of goodness. He's like, just stop and get saturated in that and, and just worship. That's, that's my father. That's, that's my dad. And so when you pray, be able to say, if you don't know Christ, you can know Christ. You can, be, you can have Jesus' righteousness put to your account if you would embrace him by faith. You get adopted into the family. Make sure you, if you do that now, man, just push balls and like, right now, what you did on the cross somehow counted for me. When you said it is finished, that was my sin that you took on yourself. And I put my faith in you. And when you do that, you are adopted into God's family. So my father, when you pray, pray my father. Second thing, 
is pray my story for your glory. Listen to that. That's pray my story, my story for your glory. Now look how he says it in the prayer. He says, hallowed be your name. That's kind of a weird word. We don't use hallowed anymore, but it basically means to set apart or to deem as special or to deem as something beautiful. And it's the recognition that God is better. Before you get to the give us this day our daily bread, it's a recognition that God is better than any gift you could ask for. He's going to say, give us this day our daily bread. Ask me. But what you're saying at the front end is, God, I would love to have, and you fill in the blank. God, I'd love to have I'd love, I'd love for us to get pregnant. God, I'd love to get married. God, I'd love to my prodigal to come home. God, I'd love for you to restore my marriage. God, I'd love for you to uh, help me find a job. That's fine. But what you're saying is, God, I would love to have that stuff, but knowing you is better than all of it. It's recognizing that he's actually the point, the overarching point you know, uh, of your life. It's that whole Copernicus revolution that we've talked about a couple times. That it's the realization that, you know what? Life does not revolve around me, all right? It doesn't revolve around me. It revolves around God. And when we get that straight, everything works out awesome. And God may, and here's here's the truth. God might hallow his name by blessing you. I mean, he might bless your socks off. That might be the way he is going to have his name glorified and lifted up. And you get, you get your socks blessed off and then you give him credit and you brag on him and you use your success to further God's kingdom. That's awesome. I think it's also true to understand that God might hallow his name by letting some pain happen. And you can show everyone you can have joy and confidence because you've got a good, good father who is better than even what you're asking for. And look how he ends it, or at least not ends it, ends our time. Verse 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, how's it done in heaven? I mean, it's done quickly. Uh, there's no, uh, can I do it another time? It's done absolutely. It's even done joyfully. In other words, when you're saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. You're saying, I want this I want what heaven wants. I want what heaven wants. Well, how do you know what heaven wants? You know what heaven wants by God's word. And when God's word says this, you can pray that. So here's, here's my application for you today. When you pray, as much as you can, pray the scriptures. Pray the scriptures back to God. Somebody said the prayers that start in heaven are heard in heaven. Think about it this way. It's like a hyperlink. When you're linking, when you're linking a promise of God to a prayer prayed in faith, if you don't know what a hyperlink is, you can Google it. Basically, when you click on like an email or click on a link in an email, it'll take you to another page. What you're doing there is you're saying, you know what, here's what you said here, and I'm praying that by faith. And so one of the best things you can do is when you read the Bible, just highlight it. You know, whatever you, if you use it on your phone, highlight it there. If you're using it here, just highlight it. Highlight scriptures that stand out to you, and then don't just read it, but pray it. I'll give you some examples. Uh, I looked at some of the cards that you turned in from the in-person service and a lot of the comments uh, online as we started this journey, uh, you know, just a number of days ago last week, and a lot of them were for marriage. Like, how do you pray for marriage? There's so many prayers you can pray for your marriage. I mean, Matthew 19, 6 says, 
what God has joined together, do not let man separate. So maybe your prayer is, God, I want to tell you right now, I know your will is not for me and my spouse to separate. It's hard right now. It's it's not fun right now. Uh, it, nothing is working right now. But God, I know, I know that that is not your will. So God, give me the spiritual faith and the spiritual eyes to then see my spouse as you see them. You just pray that. You're like, oh, I want to pray more specifically than uh, husbands, take 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, husbands, deliver your wife in an understanding way and grant them honor. So what would your prayer be? Your prayer might look like, God, help me to honor my wife. Honor means to treasure or to deem as special. God, help my wife feel amazingly honored in this home. Help me do what's necessary that she would feel honored. Uh, ladies, um, Ephesians 5 says, it says, wives, respect your husband. I will tell you right now, the love language for virtually every single husband I've ever met includes respect. They can deal disrespect every place else, but if they're disrespected at home, men don't, men don't do well with that. And one of the best things you can do to help your husband flourish is just respect. And so if you're like, oh, he's not respectable, then ask God to give you eyes to see the man that you married, maybe it's 20 years ago or 25 years ago, that you can sit there and, God, help me respect this man. You can pray tons of prayers for your marriage. Some of these will be a little bit quicker. You got somebody, a lot of y'all are praying for lost relatives, lost loved ones. You can pray 2 Peter 3, 9 that says, listen, uh, God is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. So what are you praying? You're praying, God, I want to pray right now for Adam, and I know your will is not for him to perish, but that he should reach repentance. God, I want to pray. I want to pray for, I want to pray for Gary. I want to pray for Bruce. God, I know it's not your will for them to perish. I'm praying in confidence you're going to bring him to faith. Uh, you got a prodigal. Listen, I know the pro there's no pain like family pain, correct? It's just, there's no pain like family pain. And even more specific, there's hardly any pain like kid pain. And so you got a prodigal. Here's some of the ones that you can pray. Go back to Luke 15. There's a bunch of them you could pray, but Luke 15, um, verse 16, 17, and verse 16 talks about the longing he had uh, in his belly and how the hunger he had. And then verse 17 says this, but when he came to himself, it's like the idea of the light bulb goes on. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. So when you're praying for your prodigal, your prodigal daughter, your prodigal son, you're so concerned, you're worried. I mean, hit, make that worry turn into prayer. So God, I pray right now that you'd give them a hunger that is not satisfied by all the sins of their youth. All the things that they think are great, that those would turn like gravel in, to, in their mouth. You can even pray, God, I pray that the friends that are leading them down the wrong road, that those friends would desert them. God, I pray that the light bulb would go on and they would come to their senses and then say they would get up and run back to their heavenly father. I mean, you can, you can pray that. Right, you don't think God would hear that prayer? Absolutely would. Uh, wisdom and guidance. You can pray James 1, 5 if you lack wisdom. So God, I need to know what to do. Do I take the job and do I take the job in, uh, in Arizona or do I take the job in Georgia? Which one do I take? And just God says, you know what? I'll give generously. Just ask God, you said it. Uh, you're addicted. You got, you're addicted to something, a substance or porn or something. You can't get off of it. What you need to be able to say is Romans six eleven. You know what? Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You're like, I don't feel dead to this sin. The sin kicks my tail every time. But God, right now, by faith, I'm saying that I am alive in Christ and I'm dead to that sin and I can say no to temptation. You got a money need. Give us this day our daily bread. Some of you are dealing with shame. You're dealing with shame. You're like, man, because guilt is you feel bad over an action. Shame is the fact that that's gotten into your system where now you feel, you feel bad down to your identity. It's like, you know what, I... I hate who I see and what you need to build. There's tons for you, but Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation 
for those that are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for you because the condemnation you and I deserve got put on Jesus. That's the whole idea. So here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to pray or prepare or a little bit of both. Uh, if you want to pray, I just, again, take that one thing that is the biggest burden on your life right now, that big burden, the one that keeps you up at night. And don't be shy about praying a big prayer. Pray some big prayer, all right? Uh, somebody said, if your prayers are not intimidating to you, they are probably insulting to God. So pray something in faith. Pray something big. Say, God, if you don't, I mean, it's, it's, if you do this for the glory of God and for the good of others, this, this is what I'm praying. 